Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So we are just in the beginning of this sermon series called Did Jesus Police? We're taking a non-naive Christian look at the concepts of defunding the police, abolishing the police. And uh, gosh, do you remember, uh, for those of you who were with us, um, that first week when Dana uh, spoke and as she spoke as a parent and uh, talked about the difference between punishment and looking for what is wrong versus um, searching for the unmet need and addressing the unmet need. Was that not fire? That was fire. If you missed it, go back and watch that. That was amazing. And then we had that uh, our first community interview with James from an intentional community called Reba's Place. And James talked about how important community is and kind of having like a full circle around you of folks who can hold you accountable and whom you can hold accountable to being in community. And that's how we create restoration. Loved, loved that. And then uh, we heard that amazing sermon slash testimony slash probably going to be a book one day from Giancarlo's talking about mental health and his experience of, uh, of being arrested by police because he was having a mental health episode and was a, a person of color. And the combination of those things was enough to get him arrested. And, and he had some really good ideas about alternatives to that. And then, speaking of mental health, we heard from uh, Takoya on Wednesday. And Takoya spoke from their profession of being a mental health. Uh, some of you have uh, read some of Adrienne Marie Brown's work. Um, Adrienne Marie Brown among many people have commented that what we pay attention to grows. And so one of the reasons why we're doing this sermon series on defunding the police is not just to create an absence of police, but to create a presence of peace. We're trying to pay attention to peace because what we pay attention to grows. This is a really important concept as we're starting to get into the scripture where Jesus is talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, law today. And by talking about law, we can't not talk about anger. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a person of peace. So let's, uh, let's get into it. So first off, I want you to remember a time when you were a kid, when you got mad. Think of a time when you were a kid, when you got mad. Maybe it was something um, serious, like, uh, like kids often have serious things that they get mad about. Or maybe it was kind of playful or funny, like someone got a toy or someone didn't get a toy or you uh, ripped a favorite garment of clothing or... Uh, you really wanted to go to such and such a place, but instead you were going to church. <laughs> and instead you just learned about the love of God. So um, <laughs> whatever you are, uh, I remember, like, for me, I don't know if you were like me, but I had a pretty strong sense of what was right and wrong in the world. So um, one time I remember I was at Central Middle School, and um, there was a magician. I was there with my parents, and I was... 
a kid. Like, I, we were at a middle school, but I was, I think this was a Cub Scouting event. So I'm, like, younger than 10. And, um, and uh, you can imagine, like, short little Tyler had to sit really up close because all the other bigger boys would block, and so I kind of had to be up close. And the magician pulled out this magic wand. And he said, okay, so uh, for this uh, next thing, I need an assistant. Is there anyone who can help me? And, you know, as a little kid, I'm like, helping people is a good thing to do. So I raised my little hand and he, and like, okay, step right up. What's your name, Tyler? Okay. So, uh, so he was talking about this magic wand and he's like, okay, so we're going to do a trick. Tyler, can you hold this uh, for me for one second? And I remember the magic wand, like... The way that you held it determined whether it was like a solid or if you held it wrong, it like broke into pieces. And so it was like when I held it and I was like, oh my gosh. And he's, and he came back and he's like, you know, obviously this is a magic trick. And he's like, oh, Tyler, what do you, here. And he grabs it and it, it goes right back to a magic wand and he like goes and does a thing. And he's like, okay, Tyler, can you hold this? And uh, the magic wand collapses. And by the second or third time, I remember thinking in my little kid brain, shut it down. It's all over. Like, this is an outrage. This magician is taking advantage of me trying to help him out. And now, all of a sudden, I am uh, the butt of his joke. And so I took the magic wand and I just uh, threw it against the back wall. And then I sat down <laughs> and he, um, he was like, we're going to move on to our next trick. And then he just did the rest of his show, you know, obviously having worked with kids. And <laughs> I just remember this because it reminds me of that um, uh, kids intuitively, even as children, we intuitively know that there is a sense of right and wrong, that, that if something isn't fair, that unfair thing should be addressed. And, and from kids, even observing a kid casually, we can learn that, that anger is a gift to us that allows us to correct things that are wrong. Because kids intuitively know very well whether something is right or wrong. And anger is kind of the thing that's like, I am I'm leaning into this. I'm running towards this injustice. And I have anger to fix it. Um, and for some cases, that means, you know, like standing up for what is right or, or speaking out for a friend. And for others, it means just ruining a magic show. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I think of uh, the, the act of becoming a mature adult as, as an, the act of learning why and how each of our emotions are trying to direct us towards God's vision for the world. And so anger today is this like uh, amazing, uh, uh, wise vision in our brain that's like, is something right or wrong? And if it's wrong, then we are going to move towards justice. Um, uh, and this is a theme throughout the entire Bible. How can we move towards God's justice? Um, and by an extension of justice, peace, like a justice that creates peace. That's, that's a deep theme throughout the Old and New Testament. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. And so, uh, so this 
this word of peace is like something that accompanies people throughout uh, thousands of years of the Bible being written. And we read in the book of Deuteronomy this law that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, this is in Latin, this whole idea of um, mirror laws is lex talionis for you seminarians out there. So the idea of, of this law is that if you do something wrong, the thing that happens to you should be of equal proportion. Now, a lot of times people misinterpret this and look at the Old Testament and think, like, gosh, uh, the Old Testament is just a book of rules and vengeance. The Old Testament is just trying to uh, tell us what to do and to and to get people like uh, vengeance back on them. And then Jesus is all about mercy. It's kind of the, the line of thinking. But that really isn't uh, what this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is about at all. Contextually, um, first of all, this is one of the oldest written laws like in the world. And so like the concept of written law is still like kind of fresh. And so uh, the biblical author, uh, the Deuteronomist, is looking out at this world that uh, for which written laws, I mean, the Code of Hammurabi existed, but in general, these are like pretty new things. And they noticed that there was this, uh, tr this trend, this event of disproportionate revenge. And so, for example, if one member of a tribe was disrespected, that person, in defending their honor, would completely slaughter the whole family of the other tribe. Or if one thing was stolen from one household, that person would turn around and steal a lot from that other household. And so this uh, law in Deuteronomy is trying to say, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let's just try to make this like a one-to-one Thing. Let's try to, to reach into this inborn wisdom that we have of what is fair and not fair and, and try to live a little bit more into God's shalom and say that if you did one thing wrong, then we're going to create an equal and opposite response to it. And so another translation of the law in Deuteronomy is not just uh, an eye for an eye, but only one eye for an eye. Like, we're trying to limit the impact here. Does that make sense? So then we fast forward to Jesus, who's Jewish and was definitely familiar with the Old Testament, deeply familiar, as was his whole community. And he, as he often does, says, we're going to take a look at this law, and we're going to see all the ways that the, the implementation of this law is not matching the intention of this law. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, and uh, and this is part of like kind of the Matthew thing. Matthew does this little trick a lot where um, Jesus is saying like, God's intention always was mercy. And in Old Testamental times, when, you know, in a context where there was literally very few written laws at all, like mercy was the law. Like that's, that was the act of mercy. And then Jesus is saying, but you can't get married 
to the law, you get married to the God who inspired the law, and, and once you get to know that God of mercy, you begin to see how all of these things start to kind of make sense, but, but you can never idolize any one particular rule or law, because anytime you do that, you're starting to assign it power that it doesn't deserve. Like all the power is supposed to be with God. And if you're saying that a particular law is so important that you worship it as if it were God, then that's idolatry. That is the worship of idols. And that gets you in all sorts of places because then the empire comes along, the, the powers of domination and, uh, and conquest of the world, and they weaponize the law for the purposes of the empire. And that's kind of what the empire does all the time. <laughs> like the only thing that can't be empired is God as God's self and her, like a like God's living, existing self. God's relational, heart-loving self is the only thing that can't be corrupted by the empire. And so Jesus says, like you know, I think. <laughs> We might be uh, getting a little off the rails with this eye for an eye, two for a two thing. Here's what I tell you. If someone tries to uh, slap you on the cheek, then turn your right cheek to them. If someone takes one garment from you, then uh, give them a lot more garments. If someone asks you to walk one mile, then walk two. In my opinion, Walter Wink is the biblical scholar who has the hottest take on this. He talks about how um, uh, back then, uh, one of the ways that you would show hierarchy, a power hierarchy, um, is if you were um, if you were someone who was in charge and you were talking to a servant and you wanted to discipline them, you would slap. Uh, a slap is a move that you uh, uh, do to people who are below you. But if you are someone who uh, if you are arguing with someone as equals, you would punch them because it would be kind of like the equivalent of a duel, like we're fighting or we're not. Um, and so like a slap was disrespectful, a punch was like a, a statement of equality. And so um, so <laughs> Walter Winks observes that uh, in the ancient Middle Eastern times, your right hand was the clean hand because that's what you ate with. Your left hand was the dirty hand because that's what you did toilet stuff with. And so, um, so if you are forcing your right cheek onto someone, that means that you are forcing them to only use their right hand, their punching hand, their equality hand, to fight you, not their uh, submission, domination, power hierarchy hand, uh, their left hand. You can't, if someone's turning their right cheek to you, you can't slap them with your left hand very easily, right? And so it's like, I'm, I'm, I am positioning myself to confound you, to, con to disrupt the violence that you are committing on me enough so that you at least see that I'm a human being. And uh, this principle applies for both um, the clothing and for the mile walked. For the, the clothing, it was common for Roman uh, soldiers at the time to uh, stop and frisk uh, people and to, and to harass people along the street and maybe even ask for uh, ask for things to steal things and um, And so uh, the image that Jesus is painting is like what would happen if someone uh, stopped uh, if, a, if a Roman soldier stopped and asked you for something and then You just kept giving them all of your clothes <laughs> like what if you used your body to confound 
the principalities that were robbing you of that. Like, if what if you were turning this humiliation moment into a, a moment where they are the embarrassed party, <laughs> right? And um, and for the mile one, um, the uh, the idea was uh, um, a Roman soldier could conscribe you to carry their stuff for a mile, but no more. I mean, we use a mile as like the the amount of um, the length that you would. Consider a mile. Okay, we're not going to get stuck up in the details. So they could uh, they could conscribe you to walk this far, but the law said no further. And so it's like if um, they conscribed you to walk this far, and then you walked even further, all of a sudden that soldier is guilty of that soldier who was supposed to be enforcing the law is guilty of breaking the law because that person has been walking with you for longer than the legal amount of the legal distance that you're allowed to walk. So it's, it's constantly trying to like push people onto the push authority onto its toes, push the, the situations of domination onto its toes to, tr uh, to trickery, use trickery to, uh, to, um, uh, get the scales off of people's eyes so that people can start seeing each other as human beings again. And there are contemporary equivalents of this all over the place. I was really struck by an image of, uh, from Portland where a protester from Portland um, uh, decided to uh, take off their clothes. And I'm about to show a picture from their backside, so parents, you know, be aware. But so this was a protester in Portland, and it's like... This is kind of what Jesus was talking about. Like, create situations that feel so absurd that the empires and powers that be are like, whoa, 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 wait, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be the humiliated one. And now you're not the humiliated one. What are you doing, right? Get back in the line. I, wa I walk you through all this. One, because the Bible is amazing, and we should be reading the Bible like a lot more. But two, because I want you to see that we are participating in an arc that was starting uh, in, in these Deuteronomous times of using grace to create shalom. And sometimes that looks like harm reduction and just like rules, one for one, A to B. And how Jesus continues that movement of God to inspire a type of compassion and illogical mercy in society that disrupts power systems. This is important because if you identify as a Christian, you are identifying as someone who is continuing the arc towards mercy. You are identifying as someone who takes on the mantle of peace and is looking for ways in the world to continually create more and more peace. Not just as much peace as existed before, but to try to imagine a new type of peace, a new type of world. That's the, that's the discipline of a Christian. And so when we talk about these themes of reconciliation and restoration, nonviolent communication, all of that are methods that we're trying to go about creating the kingdom of God. Our mission is driven by God. Now, I bet some of you are action-oriented type people and listening to all this and you're like, wow, this gray stuff is really interesting, but what does that actually mean? How are we actually going to create justice on the ground for it? Well, there is an opportunity, funnily enough, 
Um, the city of Minneapolis is looking for comments, uh, is open to public comment, and specifically what Reclaim the Block is asking folks to do is to change the charter so that more funding goes towards things that enact the type of like community and mercy and harm and, and uh, healing and harm reduction that um, that we believe is more reflective of our values than enforcement of law uh, and an uneven enforcement of law uh, that particularly brutalizes uh, dark-skinned people and the poor. And so um, they did have two public comment sessions and it was so like blasted full that they actually are adding a third one on the 27th. We'll post some information in our community group as well as talk about it in our sacred witnessing time after the worship service. So definitely stick around if you're interested in that. But in all things, my, my family in God, I just pray that we can be people of inspired peace, that through our words and actions, we can show up to our relationships and world in such a way that uh, acknowledges and is grateful for rules that create harm reduction, but, but elevate ourselves towards a greater way of, of grace, of peace, of forgiveness, of boundaries that reflects the, G, the love that Jesus Christ has for us. So in all things, uh, in police brutality and in your relationship with your roommate, uh, I pray that you might be a person of peace. Amen.